Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Poddleters. Welcome back to season six of Adulting. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that we're this many episodes in. Our first episode is pretty spicy. I speak to Rosie Wilby, who's comedian, author and fellow podcaster about monogamy, polyamory, relationships, singledom, everything to do with love and sex, really. Uh, I listened to her book on Audible, which is called uh, Is Monogamy Dead? And I would actually really recommend listening to her because as you're about to hear, she's got such a lovely voice. It's such a fascinating read. It's really candid, really open. And I think this conversation is a really positive one for anyone who maybe doesn't think that they fit into very heteronormative ideas around relationships or just anyone who's curious. I feel like I really learned a lot. So I hope you enjoy it. And as always, please do rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast and helps me to keep on going. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Hi, guys, and welcome to Adulting. Today, I am joined by Rosie Wilby. Yes. Hello there. How are you doing? It's really great to be here with you. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming. Could you give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are and what you do? Definitely. Yes, I'm Rosie Wilby and I am a comedian who has toured a trilogy of shows around the UK and a bit around the world, all about the psychology of love and relationships. And that led me to writing a book called Is Monogamy Dead? Which I think we're going to be talking about today. And now I also host the podcast The Breakup Monologues. Amazing. So I've literally just listened to Rosie speaking. You did your own Audible. I did narrate the audio book, yeah. yes. And it was incredible. And so it's really nice to have you here in the flesh to pick <laughs> your brain. So it's really fresh in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and I was just saying to Rosie that the reason I wanted to get into this topic is because I think infidelity and cheating and lots of negative connotations around kind of having multiple partners comes up without looking at a reason why people might be doing it. It tends to be Lots of conversations around it happening, but no one ever deep diving further into maybe the social constructs that are causing people Mm. to maybe cheat on their partners or have multiple relationships at the same time. Or not even just the social constructs, constructs, but the inherent biology and psychology that, that drives us. Yeah. Now that we live such such long lives compared to humans of old. Totally. Uh, I think, you know, that lifelong monogamous dream is very, very difficult to attain. And I think we need to be pragmatic and realistic about that. And I think that's why you do see people now exploring different options and ethical non-monogamy and polyamory, which is different to the sort of cheating in inverted commas that you're talking about, because people really have discussed boundaries and have discussed rules around how they're going to conduct their their personal intimate relationships. And you also have some people who might not have loads of sexual partners, but they might define relationships in a slightly different way and they might have lots of kind of platonic relationships that are like friendships that are kind of romantic and deep, but they might want to define them as relationships. Um, so there's there's all kinds of different things going on and we don't talk enough 
about what what is a relationship, what is fidelity, what are my boundaries, because one person will have a completely different set of things that are comfortable than another person will. And that was really the point of my survey that I did a few years ago now that was originally researched for a comedy show and then obviously became the kind of crucial part of research that informed the, the first part of the book. And I really wanted to ask that question, what counts as cheating, to really demonstrate that it's not this universal concept that everyone knows the answer to. Um, and so for, for one person, it might be more emotional forms of cheating and they're fairly comfortable with their partner kissing somebody else or that kind of thing, but they would feel quite threatened by them falling in love with somebody else and having a deep emotional bond with somebody else. Whereas for some, another person, it might be purely defined around sex. They might be very comfortable with their partner having close emotional ties with other people. But we, we just don't talk about this stuff enough. It's certainly not a one-size-fits-all monogamy. No, I, I think you're totally right. I think that first question which you open up in the book is really interesting as well because I think you're right. We automatically, when it comes to cheating, kind of imagine some kind of sexual relationship. But actually, you're totally right. I think for me, I would be more upset if someone else went and fell, fell in love with someone else. If we hadn't spoken about it, that would kind of hurt me more, I think, than a sexual relationship. But maybe that's because I think I'm a more emotional than physical person. Yeah. I don't really know. Mm. But I also think the emotion, the monogamy question that I find fascinating, I remember realising this when I was at uni. So I'd always kind of like, oh, I'm I'm so monogamous. But actually, I've had about four the ones. So obviously yeah. by that, <laughs> by those numbers and statistics, evidently, I, it's so funny that you think every time it's going to be the one when already you can't have that many by, by that data, you evidently are a serial monogamous. And I think for some reason, <laughs> yeah. we think monogamy is any relationship that you stay in rather than Monogamy truly would be one life partner, isn't well, it? Yes, I do. I do sort of break down into two different chapters in the book. Um, there's two that say, what is this monogamy, lifelong versus serial? And the other one, what is this monogamy, emotionally versus sexual? Um, so, so, yeah, I think you're right. The idea of serial monogamy is, I think, something that we've kind of now decided is is a kind of monogamy because we're more comfortable with the idea rather than having one marriage for life with having sort of one marriage at a time yeah <laughs> totally. um, so I think we've we've decided that we want to adapt the word and adapt the meaning and that monogamy can can now mean serial monogamy but yes I mean if you are being really pedantic you might say well you know, is that really is that really monogamy? Because, like you say, you've had you've had different partners in your lifetime. Um, you've just had them one after the other, rather than simultaneously. But it's interesting how you talk about the one and how we're very married, if you like, for <laughs> for want of a better word, to this idea that there is this one person. And I think it, that can be quite damaging. It can put a huge amount of pressure on our relationships if we think we are supposed to get so much from this one person and that they are meant to complete us and make our lives suddenly have meaning when often we can only really find those things for ourselves. So, yeah, I think most people who really, really believe in the idea of the one are the ones who often do kind of chop and change partners and are quite serially monogamous, as I was, and, and kind of why I wanted to write the book and explore these questions. But, yeah, I think um, 
serial serial monogamy can it can get a bit exhausting you know totally every time you think oh this is the one and there's you're really excited and you're on this huge roller coaster this amazing high at the beginning and then it's it's so devastating when it all comes crashing down because you think at the time that's your your sort of one chance totally i i really learned this lesson uh and i love that you came onto this in the books every single time i had a thought your next topic (laughs) you approached would be that so i remember thinking when you were saying how it, when it's the one, it doesn't have to be, you know, romantic relationships. It could be your relationships with your friends. And as just before you'd said that, I've been thinking, actually, this is a change that I'd made going into my relationship with now. It was, I don't expect my boyfriend to be my best friend and the person that I go out with and my confidant and everything. Yeah. I've got 20 different people. Well, maybe not that many. I was going to say, lucky you. <laughs> no, that's loads. Loads of different, like, friends who I go to for different things. Yeah. And then my boyfriend is my boyfriend. Then I've got my sisters. And it's all, everyone has a different relationship with me and I'd never thought of that as being polyamory I guess in its official state but really when you explain it more I I was kind of thinking well I'm not kind of hell-bent on loading everything onto my boyfriend I really am spreading out the love. That's good yeah and I think yes in in some senses in in a kind of loose sense of the term polyamory which largely means many loves it that is a bit polyamorous but yeah, of course, you might want to define monogamy along sexual lines and just yeah. have one sexual partner. But yeah, I think I think having spreading out that sort of burden, if you like, of of the the expectation that you have um, and the things that you want to do with with people and the time that you want to spend with people, the energy you want to get from somebody, um, it's probably good to spread that out between different friends family, colleagues, different different people that you interact with. And it, it can become super intense when one person is your be-all and end-all. Totally. Um, I want to go back to where you were saying about your survey, because you talk about that right at the beginning yeah. of the book. And that was on Facebook. Was it on Facebook? Just your friends? Um, no, I posted it up on SurveyMonkey. Fine. And I distributed it through a few different uh, groups, um, kind of, where I thought I'd get a bit of a mix of, of different genders, sexual orientations, ages, so, so a few different kind of forums and science forums and comedy forums and, and that kind of thing. So, yes, I think some of my friends answered it, but but also some people that I didn't know at all. And there was a reasonable spread. Um, there was possibly slightly more uh, gay people than you would get in a in a kind of random sample of the population so that might have interestingly skewed the results that's really nice though because i assume that normally with every heteronormative thing that goes on in the world you've probably <laughs> created the only survey that has a yeah. queer bias yeah, yeah which yeah. is probably amazing a bit more helpful but what so <laughs> when you were doing this did you go were you expecting to have this journey that you've gone on and and what really drove you really to i know you said you're a cinema monogamous and obviously in the book you explained it but for those who haven't read it what was the starting point when you suddenly thought, actually, maybe the way that we look at relationships in today's society doesn't fit with how I'm trying to live my life? Yeah, I think it was very much coming to a realisation that I was a serial monogamist, as as we've said. And I'd been through quite a few big breakups that had been quite challenging and, and sad and, and difficult. So I wanted to kind of challenged that that lifestyle that roller coaster and that feeling of crashing and burning every time even though i have maintained friendships with a good number of my ex partners there was one who it was it was a quite a difficult breakup and a difficult time and you know sadly we're not in touch anymore i think that's for the best with hindsight you know we've both well 
being able to get on with our lives and and go and do our separate things and sometimes that is the way and that is the healthy way um but you know i i just felt like it it seemed like a waste to spend all that time with somebody and then because it's no longer a successful romantic partnership to maybe have this kind of script that we do in our in our society in our culture really that you sort of have to kind of discard that relationship it doesn't really count anymore and i i felt that i was in a relationship at the time which was after the the big breakup that was more ambiguous in what it was in that we were a couple we were together uh but i didn't feel it was as intense a romantic or sexual partnership as maybe the previous relationship which perhaps had been unhealthily so <laughs> with hindsight but i felt that we were somewhere in the gray area between lovers and friends mm. and obviously i know many relationships hover somewhere between companionship and you know that that very kind of erotic lust and desire and we're all constantly moving in this weird kind of spectrum between these different states and feelings and as we move through the relationship stages the brain does kind of respond mm. and, and act in different ways and, and there are different hormones and chemicals going on so we will feel maybe less sexually attracted to someone over time but I felt that there was something different about this relationship where it, it felt more more along the lines of a really really loving friendship and somebody that I definitely wanted to have in my life long term if possible but I was always slightly uncomfortable with the definition of it being a monogamous relationship because it felt like there might be something that that we were both missing in terms of sexual and romantic connection with people and i think trying to think about things in a more removed and pragmatic way i thought maybe we could think about having an open relationship mm. in practice i think it's far more difficult to do than just when you sort of are thinking about it yeah. like a like a maths problem or something like oh you know well we get loads of stuff from each other but maybe we don't have you know as much of a full-on sexual connection so hmm, perhaps we could just have sex with other people of course it's, it's much much more complicated yeah. than that in in reality but i suppose as i started reading a bit about sexuality and love and people having uh, kind of platonic primary partners and having lovers outside of that, I thought, well, you know, maybe that's a sensible model because in some ways your primary partner is the one that you do want a more kind of rational relationship with because if you're sharing a house with somebody, particularly if you buy a house with somebody, you don't necessarily want to have this roller coaster of emotion because you have to sometimes talk about very pragmatic, boring things about you know, fixing the floor or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so sometimes there is boring stuff, admin and stuff you've got to do with that kind of primary person in your life. So I think sometimes the sexy, lusty feelings and the sort of madness of that, I mean, Freud even described romantic love as temporary psychosis. You know, I think all of that mm. stuff can sometimes get in the way of, of having almost what is like a, a business partnership with that primary person. It's so fun. Have you read Love Factually, um, The Science of How and Why We Fall in Love? Oh, Laura Mucha. Mucha, yeah. Mucha. 
So she was on and she talks about this, how you have the different states of love and how often it starts off as love and then by the end it moves into companionship. And she says the exact same thing. When you're in that lustful love, it's basically like you're taking coke. Like that's yeah, what your well, brain's doing. That's absolutely right, yeah. Yeah, and you, you spoke about that as well, I think, in the book. You're like, maybe if we do, I like, get some volunteers to do some coke and we do the experiments. <laughs> yes, yeah. That and like it, I said, we, yeah. we'd probably get a load of volunteers. load of volunteers, <laughs> definitely, oh, 100%. Uh, and <laughs> what I find really interesting is actually... Also, I remember I would go for those kind of lustful, really passionate, lots of arguments, relationships when I was younger, because that's what you're sold in the movies is love. Exactly, yeah. And then as I've got older, I've actually thought, actually, I really like going to bed really early and like having a more... <laughs> you're not old enough yet. No, but I do go to bed quite early. I do, yeah. what I know. Time? Well, like 10. Oh, yeah. Get up at six. It's not too yeah, bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. That's a get, solid eight get hours. Get into bed. Yeah, have to have eight hours. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I literally won't get up otherwise. Um, <laughs> it's awful. I just sleep in. But, yeah, going back to that, it's really interesting because I think I've kind of now got to the point where I find that lack of chaos much more attractive. Yeah. And... But then I do understand why you would want to have, like, the multitude of it. And I can, yes, and yeah. I can imagine that people... I remember watching, I think it was a Louis Theroux documentary quite a few years ago about people that were polyamorous. That was the first time I heard the term compersion, which is yep. when you don't feel jealousy, you feel joy. Yep. And I remember finding that so hard. To, I couldn't... I could not understand. <laughs> and then I think via osmosis, slowly over time, I've come to know people who are polyamorous, have open relationships, and it just starts to feel like... Oh, okay. But I can imagine that when you enter into that, your relationship doesn't exist in a vacuum. And if you start dating someone else, it's not that it's you guys might be okay with that. But then it's like every person has so many people attached to them. I guess that's where the complications start to arise. We're all interconnected, you know, even if we're not all having sexual relationships. I think our actions do affect other people. I mm. mean, I've, I'm now thinking a lot about breakups for my second book and and obviously for the Breakup Monologues podcast. And um, I've been thinking a lot just recently about how when two friends, like if they're mutual friends who you're, you're friends with both of them, when they break up, how that affects you and how it affects the whole surrounding friendship network. I, I talk a bit in the book about the erosion of a landscape of friendship when two central friends yeah. in a sort of group split up because everyone feels a bit like oh do we take sides and it gets very complicated so I think we forget how interconnected we all are just a quick point on language I wanted to share one of my favorite terms that I came across meeting people who were poly was um, if you've reached your threshold of partners you can say that you're polysaturated oh stop that's really good (laughs) it's a good one isn't it how many well I suppose it's different for everyone it would be different for everyone and I think age you know you're talking about going to bed earlier Uh, I think age definitely would have would play some part in that you know as you get older you've probably got less energy and time and and energy and resources to sort of devote to having lots of different people for lots of different things. That's one of my first thoughts whenever anyone mentions being polyamorous or even actually having an affair more actually because I just think your time management you have to be so efficient. <laughs> be good. First of all to hide I always that's honestly the first thing which maybe is a bit weird but I always think that I think god I, I couldn't I just don't have the time and I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't understand how to maneuver that. Um, I quickly want to ask you because what I love is the way that you speak about um lesbian relationships in the book Mm. and how you differ in that because it was such to be gay in a certain time period it was so marginalizing that you would stay friends with all of your exes because you needed to have allies in that space absolutely and it was a small community and I mean you couldn't really not be friends because that would like I say that would kind of be difficult for a whole group of people 
So I've particularly looked at same-sex partnerships uh, because I think it gives us a lot of hints, perhaps to a sort of preferred gendered strategy around monogamy. I mean, I know gender is getting more fluid and, yeah. and more of a spectrum now, but I do think you see two women in a relationship and two men in a relationship behaving in a really, really different way to cope with this central problem of monogamy and how we navigate it. And so women have tended towards rapid serial monogamy. Lesbian divorce rates are actually the highest of all. We divorce at over three times the rate of gay wow. men. Yeah, which is interesting. And then you have gay men who more typically would stay in a, a primary partnership a very, very long time. Their divorce rates are really, really low, but they would more typically navigate a sort of emo um, an open relationship and have sexual partners outside of the primary partnership. So I think you see these two different strategies going on. And I think there's something interesting in that. And I also think that gay people of kind of previous decades have had creative strategies around concepts of family, fidelity, love, relationships, because we have been excluded from yeah. marriage and maybe having families in a very conventional way. And so I think we have looked to friends as family. We have looked to the ideas of what the writer Armistead Morpin calls logical family rather than sort of biological family. And you know, we have played around with the ideas of open relationships or things like living apart together. Um, the lapped couple became a bit of a buzz phrase a few years ago in the media, but lesbians have been doing it for like decades. <laughs> and so I think you often find the queer community sort of pioneer models that then kind of catch on, you know, a decade or two later in in the kind of heteronormative world. Totally. The only people that I know who are in an open relationship are gay men couples. Yeah. And I thought about this before and you kind of, you brought this up in the book as well. And my kind of thought process or when I was like thought experiment about why this might be, and you did, you literally, it's so funny, every time I thought something, you'd then say it better. But it was about how, because if your relationship is already viewed as being controversial or different, yeah. you've kind of got less you you can be open. I feel like when you're in a heteronormative, very normal couple, if you kind of push the boundaries a little bit and want it's, to do something yeah, different, people are like oh yeah. And but whereas I think if you're a queer couple, it's already seen as mm. is it and not not Subversive. this is not positive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to then change that, and I also wonder it's not with, that much of an extra leap. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And with things like paternity certainty, I guess there's two men. There's less issue of like biologically being worried about sleeping with other people in terms of fathering a yeah, baby. And I, I mean, suppose that's the same with two women. So, so, yes. I mean, now now with gay people starting to have children, you see some interesting models where you often see um, two gay men and two lesbians sort of having oh, children together and being like four parents in a big kind yeah. of molecule or if they were truly poly it would be a polycule but um, you know even sometimes four of them all living in the house with the kids and stuff yeah. and so you see some interesting structures like that going on but yeah I mean obviously there's a lot of kind of feminist writing about monogamy being exactly as you say about men wanting to protect paternity and not being cuckolded and, and not wanting to plough their resources into bringing up yeah. another man's child and all of this kind of stuff and 
um, yeah, sort of historically how it, it came about as this construct because of, of kind of agriculture and when labour got more more physical and men kind of did the physical work, whereas, you know, in hunter-gatherer days, women had done lots of the important yeah. work as well. And then suddenly women were becoming a bit more decorative and were kind of handed around like property between between the patriarchs. So, so yeah, you have this idea about women sort of becoming sexual property, mm. I suppose, in a way. When you started talking about this, because I find it very fascinating, it's definitely still quite new. Did you, were you worried? Were you scared to broach the subject with your friends or were you in circles where this was already something that was going on? Do you find that maybe it's something that people look to when they've, like I'm mid-20s now and I feel like everyone's either getting into their first serious yeah. relationship, some of them are getting engaged, but I feel like open relationships maybe come when you're in your 30s or like what do you... Yeah, maybe. I mean, I you know, I'm I'm an old bird in my forties now. Um and I suppose yeah, there was a real mix because to some extent in, in queer culture, especially in London in a big city, there is a lot of openness, particularly like you say, among the gay men that, that I know. And the lesbians were really, really divided. There are some lesbians who are really kind of hacked off with serial monogamy like I right. am and, and getting divorced in inverted commas every few years um, <laughs> and then going through all this emotional work to stay friends with your exes because it's still quite a small community um, so so there were some women who were like yes this really makes a lot of sense I can see where you're coming from and then there are some lesbians who really are clinging on to that idea of, of monogamy and were a bit unsure, you know. And I think the assumption is that if you're talking about monogamy and you're questioning it, that you are, you know, living this hedonistic lifestyle right. and uh, going to sex parties and having sex 24-7. And, you know, I was like, oh, I wish. Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I did go to one or two sex parties and stuff like that, but actually kind of for research, in inverted mm. commas, because um, I, I did go and do, I write about it in the book. I yeah. went and did a comedy set at a really lovely kind of friendly sex party. And I was more just interested in seeing what the vibe was and, and you know, enjoying enjoying that, the sort of flirtation of it and, um yeah, yeah, just just kind of seeing how how people communicated and how there were a lot of kind of res very respectful ethical rules at this party about you know don't don't be a dick really. yeah um, and and so people were actually being really really respectful and there wasn't really much alcohol being consumed and people were just excited to connect and communicate and you know then maybe some people would go off and and have sex. I I love how candid the book was and it felt <laughs> it felt very unabashed but in a really nice way so it's very comfortable to read or listen to and I find it fascinating that you say I guess it is hedonism in in one sense of the word but I think it's just also ideological in that at this moment in time it might seem very extreme to love freely or whatever but if you go through periods of time and you bring up um Greek is it when were the men all loving each other like Greek Roman Greeks yeah yeah because there was a lot of homo eroticism yeah totally. and it's really I've, I've brought this up to my guy friends before as well and it's it's just about the way that it's just because we're viewing it in this moment right now you think it's a certain way but we've gone through so many different iterations of the way that we spend time with each other and love yeah. each other and as you say like we're going to live longer 
will we be able to be the same person for 70 years? We might get really bored. <laughs> I know, it's it's hard, isn't it? I think that's a huge, huge challenge. Yeah, and like you say, if you look back through history, and even if you look around the world even now, mm. you do see a lot of polyamorous communities, uh, even polyandrous uh, communities where where women might take more than one husband. That's very rare. But So it that's does... the opposite of polygamy. Yeah, polygamy. And then polyamory is... Well. is... Polyamory is more based around love than marriage, which, let's right. face it, are two different things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, poly, so polyandry is when a woman takes more than one husband. Yeah. And, and there are a few parts of the world where that might be a norm. Interesting. I actually want to ask you about marriage. I can't remember if I spoke to someone, or maybe it was you, me listening to you, I can't remember now, about marriage <laughs> and how, how marriage really is just a, is a contract. It's kind of like yeah. a financial... It's not really that much about the love side of things. Or... Well, it historically wasn't. You know, it yeah. was about sort of two families joining and it is about, yeah, a financial and pragmatic arrangement. Well, we mentioned sort of the idea of a business relationship earlier yeah. on. And, the yeah, I think it's relatively recent in Western culture that we have this very romanticised idea of love and marriage. And, yeah, how how realistic is that? How can it really live up to, like like we were saying earlier, the, the romantic films, this idea of romantic love that we're sold that is the lasting form of love, yeah. whereas that may always let us down slightly. So I do think polyamory gives us a, a potential option to, to look at, um, you know, kind of maybe sustaining relationships in different ways and finding energy and love and passion and excitement in other ways. It may not always be through sex, but that's an option as well if it's communicated and your boundaries are communicated yeah. and everything's consensual and everybody is on board. Uh, I think it's healthy that we can have these discussions at least and those options are there. And I think if you explore polyamory and you know what that's about and that's there as an option, you can more actively choose monogamy, which is what I mm. ultimately have done. And I think it's much healthier to think it's a choice that I want to be monogamous in my relationship rather than it's this cultural default that I don't know if I feel comfortable with. I think you can feel much happier yeah. about something if, if you've chosen it. Yeah, the freedom to choose it. Totally. And that makes entire sense to me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you think, though, and I know that I'm, I'm kind of going back to my point before, but you were talking about how women have um, sort of like romantic, non-sexualized relationships with their girlfriends and also kind of harking back to that Greek idea of these men like falling over each other. It's so normal for you and your girlfriends to watch a movie. Girlfriends as well is a term that's slightly problematic because I'm not gay. Because I think I get told yeah. off sometimes for saying that and shouldn't um, use no, but that I term. Know what you mean. But you know what I mean? Friends yeah. who are women, female friends with each yeah. other yeah. will very happily strip off in front of each other like watch movies and <laughs> yeah. cuddle and there's really very few boundaries around that and I think we're so conservative about the way I don't know actually because I do think it is a bit weird sometimes <laughs> the way we sexualise women to being together when it's not sexual as well so it's all kind of problematic but if we had a less conservative view or allowed people to be more 
open and loving with each other, I do think British culture constrains some of that as well, which is why I think monogamy sometimes spills out over the edges and people do find themselves perhaps being drawn to the idea of cheating or something because it feels so restricted. Yes, if you feel confined, that's when you're going to rebel against it. Yeah. You know, if you like, if you've got really strict parents, that's when you're going to be a naughty teenager. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it's so interesting what you say about your kind of your straight girlfriends. Because in some ways, as a gay woman, I've always been a bit jealous of, of straight women having girlfriends that they can be so comfortable with. Whereas if you're a lesbian and you're friends with other gay women, there's always there's it's something going to happen. There's yeah. almost that. You know, rather than when when Harry met Sally, it's when Sally met Sally. Mm. Can two queer women who might be attracted to one another really be friends without any sexual tension? So, it, it, yeah, it's, I, it's I totally complex. agree. But then, surely it works in the same way that if you're, well, I suppose, you're, it's not usually as friendly. But having a, in it being in a, in a heteronormative situation where a girl's friends with a guy, yeah, and of course it can work. But, but I do you, know what you would mean. Would you strip off in front of each other, like with a um, a straight male friend who you were just um, friends with? Some when I was younger, for a really close guy friend, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be like, woohoo, <laughs> here are my baps. But I probably wouldn't. I also wouldn't be shy about like having a quick change. I wouldn't loiter around <laughs> with my fanny out. But I probably wouldn't also be that worried about yeah, yeah. changing. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, when I remember one of my, one of my best friends came out to me, and that never that didn't remotely change. Our relationship. Yeah, that's nice. That's good. So that was... Stingley, we've talked a lot about language. One of my friends had a special phrase for defining those kind of very special female friendships, and she calls them her love affair friendships. Yeah, mm. I love that. You said that in the book. So, sorry, that was what I wanted to... I've completely forgotten my point. <laughs> that's I, fine. I love exploring this idea of the way that we share... Because I think if you're even not in a relationship with anyone, the idea of love... Like, when I was younger, I think we're using love a lot more frequently and a lot more freely. So I tell my mum I love her all the time, but I don't remember that being language when I was younger that you would necessarily say out loud. Do you feel like that's become a bit more colloquialised and you're allowed to kind of just be a bit more emotional with people? Or have you always felt that way? Yes, perhaps we are becoming less buttoned up. I hope so, because I think, like you say, our our British culture was a bit bit oppressive in the way that, yeah, the way we talked about sex was it all a bit innuendo and a bit, oh, you know, and it was a bit kind of seedy and under wraps totally and there was so much shame when I was growing up around sex yeah like my mum is really Catholic I've completely undone the Catholicism from her (laughs) so she's fine now but growing up sex to me I was just so terrified of talking anything about it and actually I think when we kind of I know that sex and love are two different things but I also think being able to tap into both of those conversations makes everyone else so much more at ease I honestly think that if It seems really forward-thinking to talk about polyamory and open relationships in some senses. But in another sense, though, I also almost imagine that in the future, I think you spoke about this, we will... Oh, what's this? Relationship anarchy. That's what I'm thinking of now. Where almost people don't define define their relationships. relationships. Yes, relationship anarchy is something I think I alluded to at the beginning, where for some people... Emotional relationships are the key. There might be some partners that they have sex with, but it's all about the emotional connections. So they wouldn't necessarily rank everything in a hierarchy where friendships sit below 
romantic love. That isn't up there on this pedestal. I actually use the phrase in my book, a new currency of commitment, yeah. um, to kind of get away from this idea that we have this inflated value placed on romantic love by the sort of Valentine's cards and the love songs and the romantic films. And I think it is quite healthy to think about all our connections, all those kind of interconnected satellites of of connections with people um, and all those constellations of people as, you know, just part of something that makes up a big mm. picture of us and who we are. Yeah, because I, I think growing up, when I was younger, I definitely was of the opinion, well, I mean, fairy tales and Disney films do this to you, but that you will just meet a man or a woman, well, in the films it's always a man, and <laughs> yeah, that yeah. once you get them, you will be whole. That's and if it. anything, all I found out was that I was getting completely undone by these people who I didn't yeah. know how to be in a relationship with or would become very codependent. And actually it wasn't until I learned how to be independent and really invest time in all my friendships yeah. that then I could meet someone because I was going to them with my glass full or whatever the expression yeah. is. Yes, I think often the best start to a relationship is after you've been single for a while mm. and you've found your feet and you've found your identity and your sense of self and what you want to bring into a relationship but there are people who just run from one partnership to the next who never really they're so scared of spending that time alone i think we're giving um singleness a bit of good press now i think it's yeah. really starting to get uh i have a friend called florence given who's amazing and she constantly talks about the joy of being single and why it's such an amazing thing and why it's also an option i mean we've been talking about being in all different kinds of relationships but i think it's really nice to also have the option of not being in a relationship which i also didn't know that you could yeah. grow up and just and you can not be have you that. can be poly and not in a relationship you can be solo poly right which is kind of you're having your primary relationship with yourself and you're open to relationships but there are plenty of solo poly people who are single and they might be open to connections but um yeah that that primary relationship is with, with yourself it is it it's really fascinating i honestly the more i think about it but then maybe i'm simplifying it slash don't understand it enough <laughs> i just think it's it's need, we need to have a huge shift in, in our attitude relate, towards relationships and it also needs to come along with the changes in gender and kind of marginalisation. Because I think that even in terms of hierarchy within relationships, like male and, male and female relationships, especially in the way that we kind of look at gender norms, yeah. is so problematic. And I wonder if if we didn't put so much onus on having this one, this monogamy, this uh, prince or whatever, and, <laughs> and stripped away the heteronormativity, if there would be less power in those in male privilege because mm. they wouldn't have as much power in the in the dynamic if you were able to spread that love. Yeah. Have I gone round in circles? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think absolutely. I think also it kind of opens up the possibility for so much ambiguity and miscommunication and assumption. And I think that's why I was looking for some kind of clarity about what relationships meant. And I think you're absolutely right to point to the sort of patriarchal structure around this and the fact that it it seems to have been defined so far very mm. much in male interest. And it does seem that women have different types of relationships that they don't really have words for and are making up their own, like love affair, friendship. And so... Yeah, I think it's things are times are definitely changing. Look how much more accepting we've become about queer relationships. I mean, yeah. in my lifetime, I've gone from going on kind of same sex wedding 
marches and demos and we staged a mock wedding when I was a student outside York Minster on Valentine's Day really terrified thinking we were doing something crazy controversial that would never ever happen that two women and two men never ever be allowed to marry and now that is becoming in this country at least fairly accepted by by most people and so I think we've seen things come a long long way and we're far more accepting of trans people and thinking about gender binaries in a different new modern kind of a way and and are so much more progressive so I think it will follow suit that we will start thinking about monogamy and relationship structures and relationship forms in a different way but I think to be a complete relationship anarchist may be challenging for some because we quite like structure and we quite like organisation. I mean, even for me, I, I, you know, when I was really grappling with it, I kind of thought the structure that probably appeals to me most personally is to have some kind of primary partner, whether that's a sexual partner or an emotional platonic partner. Yeah, totally. I kind of feel like you do want that one person that you live with and you have some sense of family with, particularly as I don't have a large biological family. I'm an only child. So I think having that one key person is still, that's still something I do crave, I think. No, I completely agree. And I think I'm I'm the same But I think mine is more in, but probably then I shouldn't define it that way. Mine is just more that I very much am aware that I spread, instead of where I've been in codependence relationships before, I've been Mm. obsessed, and it's been really toxic and awful and kind of lost friendship. And now it's just a very, like, that's my boyfriend, but these are my friends. And they all kind of get different amounts of love. Yeah. I do think that men, interestingly, lose out (laughs) in this patriarchal (laughs) structure of friendship because I remember saying to my boyfriend once, uh, one of our friends was struggling with something, and I was like, what did you say to him? And he was like, oh, I just said this. And I was like, well, why don't you say that? He's like, oh, I don't really want... And I thought, oh, my God, you don't know. You can't say... I could say anything to my girlfriend. I shouldn't shouldn't say my friends, my women friends. What are you allowed to say? I don't want to say something wrong. And and it's really funny that we're able... I think that it's definitely changed. And I have no... I've even noticed as I got older that the the guys that I went to school with are starting to become more tactile with each other and and more effeminate in their friendships, which is lovely. I I quote a survey in my book of um, male heterosexual male snogging um, that this professor at one of the universities had done a, a survey, a study into women, um, into men snogging one another and actually that there is quite a lot of homoerotic tactile touching and, and kissing between men. So I think men are starting to break out of that shell of, of masculinity and what it feels like it has to mean. There's, there's a hell, you know, we, we've been talking a bit about you know, patriarchy and what that means for women. But gosh, there's a hell of a lot yeah. of pressure on men to be a certain way. Yeah, well. like this alpha male idea. Oh, yeah, I do yeah. always find that like sport is so home, like rugby is one of the most <laughs> yeah, homoerotic yeah. things. <laughs> and also them all being the change. So I think women can outwardly be really tactile. Like some of my friends will just hang off each other and it's a very like, it's all, all not sensual, but almost is like like women in those paintings, <laughs> like with long hair brushing each other's hair. But guys, with a little apple, yeah, exactly. Yes. Whereas guys feel like they have to be all like. Blah, blah, blah. But then with the snogging thing, was that on nights out? Is it drunk and so? Was it just a little? I think it was a yes amalgamation. I think probably, yeah, alcohol and sport were were <laughs> definitely involved, like hugging after yeah. scoring a goal or a try or something. Yeah, yeah. It is so fascinating. So what was gonna? I've literally just forgotten what I was gonna say. Um, I'm sure it was amazing. Uh, well, but I hope so. <laughs> What's my point? I was going to say. Oh, that I remembered now. So I think I heard you. Did, were you on the Guilty Feminist? Is that where I would have heard you? 
Yes, I think that was I think, where you heard So it. it made me laugh so much because you're talking about how you'd written this book called <laughs> Is Monogamy Dead? And you'd just put it up and these men were just emailing you absolutely fuming, not having read the book, <laughs> but just with the title. Did you know that it was going to be a bit of a firecracker to well, put out into the world? I mean, I deliberately asked that question to be a little bit provocative. I'm a comedian and so primarily you do want to make people ask questions and you want to get a response. You want people to come and see the show. And, well, the, the letter that I actually read out on The Guilty Feminist was not an email but an actual traditional old-school letter Amazing. that had been delivered through the letterbox of a bookshop that I was due to do a talk at. And he posted it, this gentleman had posted it through the letterbox at Herne Hill Books. And it was addressed to Rosie Wilby, as monogamy said. And yeah, it, kind of, it kind of had this whole page of, you know, why he thought monogamy was this, you know, very excellent structure and telling me all about his family and his children and their marriages. And, and yeah, I thought it was interesting how some people, even without reading the book, make an assumption that if you're questioning it, you're, you must be saying that monogamy is a terrible outdated bad idea whereas actually I think it's probably quite a viable relationship structure if we redefine it a little yeah. bit for modern times and modern living and, and this long lifespan we have um, and and we kind of attach on the, the communication about boundaries and consent and all the things that we we probably need to to make a kind of compulsory part of it that that inherently do seem to be part of polyamory. You've got to talk a lot if you're going to open up your relationship, whereas actually a lot of monogamous couples don't talk at all. And I think yeah. that's the problem. I, I I also think that because monogamy is so accepted that it's the same with anything. But if you stick your head above the parapet and even try to deviate from it, people can't. It makes it holds up a mirror and people feel attacked because they think, yeah. no, but I'm doing monogamy. And actually, maybe deep down they think, shit, this isn't right. And I think we can get into mm. your no one would blink an eye if you started going out with someone at 16 and married them at 24. But actually, really, those are such formative years of your life. And if you dated someone for that, I don't know, I think that shouldn't like we sh I think we need to be encouraged more as you say to explore relationships even if they're not overlapping or polyamorous but you're just dating around and meeting different people and finding out what you it's, like yeah it's probably quite healthy there's a new theory that I'm going to propose in oh, my fun. in my next <laughs> book and uh, the 40 love theory which is a slight tennis joke because my partner's a tennis coach love. I love tennis <laughs> but um where we're, quite a few of us um, in, in this decade have decided that really you don't know what you're doing until you're about 40. Not that we really know what we're doing either, but um, I, I think there's a, an argument to be said that maybe you do kind of experiment and play around. And obviously it's perhaps a bit more difficult if you are going to have children because yeah. you probably need to do that before 40. But then I think you could bring up children in different kind of ways in a community with different friends as well as like one primary partner and that kind of thing. So there's all kinds of different ways of looking at family. But I think in as far as finding yourself and discovering yourself and knowing who you want to be in a relationship, I think you do know a lot more by the time you get to 40. I think in your 20s, you really are, you know, in, I, I mean, look at you, you're so young. And, and in some ways, I'm kind of envious, but in another way, I'm not at all, because I remember what a mess of chaos yeah. it all was. And then in your 30s, you're kind of sorting things out a little bit. But by 40, you really kind of start to feel quite confident and quite, yeah, I know who I am. But unfortunately, then you get a bit too tired <laughs> 
still <laughs> still executing all your amazing plans to take over the world. That makes me really happy. That's the whole point of this podcast because I remember when I finished uni, I was like, great, well, now everything will be sorted. And then all of a sudden it was just another shit storm of <laughs> no idea. And every day, some days I wake up and I think, absolutely nailed it I know what I'm doing and the next day I wake up and I'm just like what the fuck am I doing and it's that every other day so it's really nice to hear that I think I don't think I still I've asked so many people now like do you feel like you're an adult even my mum who's in her 60s is like I don't necessarily feel like and and I think that's kind of lovely but yeah it's good because actually and I'm a comedian which is the most juvenile kind of job you can possibly have I mean yes there were a lot of kind of stressful elements of it particularly when you're at Edinburgh Fringe oh God, which is imagine. just a month-long nightmare um, but I, I think yes I think what's uh, really been important about doing this job is actually staying in touch with that sense of play and I think that does help you communicate and have fun in your relationship and me and my partner we do just have kind of silly banter with each other and take the piss out of each other and have little funny games and memes and songs that you know we'd sing to each other that other people would be like yeah. what on earth are you doing you know well you brought up um the proverbial clicking clocking talk what is that what, what am I trying to say <laughs> biological clock bloody hell it's like my Alice yes. in Wonderland and I think that's also what forces a lot of people into unhappy relationships because you hear this dreaded thing of oh, you can't be a woman who's single at 30 because who's going to give you sperm or whatever the the story is and I think that's also like it's so frustrating because I always say I wish that you could have children up until your 50s that'd be great because then I'd get married at 45 yeah and then that's kind of the timing perfect yeah you know damn the menopause I know it's so I honestly think that's so irritating because I do think in the back of my mind even though I really think like I've got I'm such a career career I'm such a shit time no one's a career man are they but like there's so many things I want to do and then something in the back of my mind goes but you better you've got to have a baby and it's really I hate I hate that feeling that's the only thing I love being a woman and I actually don't envy men for much even though they have loads of privilege but I would like to be able to have children up until I'm like 80, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, then you've got to think about whether you're going to be around. Oh, yeah, that's well, I mean, we might be living for like 200 years we now. Might. So. Yes, we might, yes, we are starting to live longer. So, yeah, you know, I, yes, I kind of think actually settling down and committing later. I mean, I think we are in general maybe committing a tiny bit later. Definitely than in, very in London, I think. Kind of early marriages that you used to hear about and. You know, a lot of a lot of those people. I mean, so many of my friends and kind of ex partners and stuff have had parents who've divorced or split up because yeah. they got married so young before they really knew what on earth was going on. I don't want to. Although every time I say something like this, I have to say, if you are in a long term relationship <laughs> from when you're really really young, it does obviously. There's also there's the exception to the rule, and also your book isn't saying it's the other thing about the book just because you read it and find it interesting. It doesn't mean that monogamy will never work for you. As you said, no, you, it's working for you perfectly now. I think if you are in a long, long-term relationship and you're really happy, it's just thinking about the fact that you will both grow um, and you won't always grow together. So it's just constant communication and constant fluidity and, and acceptance around those those different boundaries that you may need to renegotiate mm. and keeping on communicating about the division of 
well, you know, just just kind of work within the relationship. If you do have kids or you have pets, I mean, me and my partner have a dog and a cat. I mean, the cat doesn't need much, but the dog actually, you know, has been quite a lot of work in the first year when she was this crazy puppy running around, weeing all over the house and <laughs> needing walks and needing constant kind of attention and chewing all our shoes and things. And so. You know, we have had to think about how, you know, how do we, who, yeah, you know, who's going to have a keep an eye on the dog during the day or in the evenings, and so I think you do have to communicate really, really yeah. well, and that that is, you know, it's not rocket science, but I think that is the secret to that long, long term commitment. If you feel you've got that real deep connection with someone, and that is that is working well, then brilliant. Yeah, and I think being you're totally right when you said about the work, it is just like you've got to actively be present kind of in your relationship and I wonder if what maybe why I've heard lots of people talking about polyamory and or even just having one um like sleeping with someone else once that's been they've both agreed on it yeah. and then going back into the relationship and being really happy yeah. and I wonder if that's because it just suddenly kickstarts you to be aware of oh this is where I am and this is my yeah. partner and I think one of the things that led me to write the book was I felt that there could be something a bit deadening about being in a monogamous relationship you know it does sound a little bit like mahogany and just uh, <laughs> relationship will get a bit wooden and so yes i think many people if they negotiate an open time an open period in their relationship and maybe then become monogamous again they've had so much excitement and I don't know, refueling of their yeah. creative energies and their personal sense of self and that they do bring a sort of energy back into into the partnership. Um, you know, but then it's not always as easy as that because maybe one person went off and had a brilliant time, but the other person didn't. So you've got to be prepared for it not being equal and not being even. Often in many heterosexual partnerships where they open it up the man has a harder time bless him to find partners than a woman who you know there are just men everywhere who are like fantastic yeah yes. uh, so I, I think you know there are always sadly un, uneven parts yeah. of, of polyamory and obviously we haven't really got into the the jealousy side and I can oh. imagine it's it could get very complicated and also just because it is very subversive and it is so different that I know some people might even just listen to this conversation and think oh my god God, what oh are you talking about? Goodness. But I do, I think you're right. I think it's just the option of knowing that, you know, even I'm so excited if I do have children, I just can't wait to say to them and you'll go out with anyone. Like not say you'll get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'm just going to, I'm really genuinely excited to teach them that they can date anyone. Just because for me, I think that's such a great, I wonder how the world will change when we don't have such binary ideas about sexuality yeah. and children are brought up thinking, oh, I can just go out with whoever I want. Yeah. I really think it's going to be fascinating to see whether or not we even ascribe to a sexuality at that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. I think it has been useful to have slightly more rigid labels just for, you know, kind of campaigning and activism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you're campaigning for equal rights, then you have to define relationships yeah. in certain boxes that work within a legal framework. So... I don't know if we're quite there yet when we can let go yeah. of all of that. But I think, um, yeah, it's really progressive that, that we're starting to completely explode the idea of the gender binary. Yeah. And, and it does help everybody, I think, 
to to not feel so constrained about how they have to be. But you're totally right as well, and you you bring this up in the book as well. We are in London, and obviously, I imagine <laughs> that the people you hang out with are probably so many people. Yeah. I, so I have these conversations and think amazing, and then you kind of walk you outside of the room. room. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, I did um, do my Is Monogamy Dead comedy talk in Aberdeen, and um, polyamory had not reached Aberdeen. Oh. They, no, they were lovely, but they did not quite know what I was talking. I had to kind of really Go, step yeah. backwards a little bit and, and take them through it in baby steps. The idea that you might think about relationships differently even if you don't want to go and have lots of different partners there's maybe something healthy in just talking about it all yeah I think I also think that's what the book serves to do very well because as you said at the beginning people seem to think of being polyamorous as a very dirty underground (laughs) sexy but shameful thing and I think what you do is bring it into the fore in a way that's just very as I said very honest very candid but also you, it just it just sounds like love. It doesn't sound yeah, shady. I mean, I've met some polyamorous people who are very, very wholesome people who I imagine, like yeah. bird watching and knitting. And, you know, they are not what I expected yeah. at all. I think that's great. I also, when I first learned about polyamory, I think it was about a year ago, I kept calling it polygamy, which is really difficult because yeah. it often talk, it often denotes like people in different countries who maybe have loads of wives. That's tends yeah. to be what comes yeah, to people's people, minds. People think of the Mormons. Yeah. Um, and and I, I prefer to think of Moomins. Oh, um, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I need to, cute. the language on that one is quite important. I need to stop calling it polygamy. Yeah, yeah, because um, that is all about marriage. Yeah, and that is. love. Like yeah, and, and and what do you say is when a woman, because that's specifically men have having multiple wives as well. Yeah, yeah. And polyandry. Oh, yeah, polyandry. Like misandry, but different. They love men, or women. Yeah. That is interesting. Amazing. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to cover? Gosh. We've gone all around the houses. I mean, we covered so much. I hope people have been able to follow it. I mean, (laughs) we've just had a good old chat about... (laughs) Monogamy, polyamory, or the whole the whole lot, and I just think, yeah, everything we've said about friendships and and the different kind of spectrum of emotional connections that we have. You know, if we think about all those things as relationships, then we start to think about relationships in a more sophisticated, more nuanced kind of a way. And it's yeah, it's as much about your thinking and how you feel about relationships as what you actually do. It doesn't mean you have to start going to sex parties, although there are some good ones that I went to in my book. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to, like you say, yeah. live this kind of um, very kind of sexy and hedonistic lifestyle. There, There's a lot of good in actually just, just changing your thinking and, and feeling um, accepting of, of maybe doing relationships in different ways or even if you're not accepting other people doing that yeah totally I think that's really important I would definitely recommend everyone to read the book I listened to it on Audible and if you like Rosie's voice it is <laughs> a really good thing to do because it's you just got such a good voice for radio oh, thank you um, so yes is monogamy dead? yes and if anyone wants to find you anywhere else Oh, yes. Um, I'm Well, I've got a website, rosiewilby.com. I'm on Twitter, at rosiewilby. And on Instagram, I'm there under my podcast name. So that's at Breakup Monologues. Amazing. So, yeah, do check. That's all free on iTunes and Spotify and all good podcast places as well. And we did cover quite a lot of polyamory and monogamy kind of stuff on that too because we, we try to look at breakups in a universal way but also in a really inclusive way that looks at some of the 
kind of non-traditional narratives mm. of maybe queer people or poly people and thinking about breakups. I mean, gosh, what happens when you break up with like five people in the same Oh, wow, two weeks, so true. You know? <laughs> I love that. Honestly, that was one of my favourite bits, actually, talking about your um, in your relationships with other women because of the, the way that you stayed friends. Whereas whenever I've broken up with an ex, generally, it's been like a block by... <laughs> and then I just never want to see them again. And I was like, God, I don't think I've got the strength yeah. to still be fat. So that's, I do think it was, it's, it's a very clever book and that it does have such a different viewpoint, but really accessible to everyone. So Thank amazing. you. Oh, I hope so. I tried to make it kind of read a little bit like a, a fiction. Yeah, you know, it does. It's got that yeah. personal story underpinning some of the real research that I did interviewing scientists and academics about how on earth all this stuff actually works and obviously doing my own survey and research too. I loved it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for listening and I will see you next week. Bye. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.